Hello and welcome to Comic Book Decalogue. My name is Greg, and on this podcast, we ask the same ten questions to a different cartoonist each time. Now, this is episode number 19, and until now, I've recorded every installment face-to-face across from my guest. Was that a point of pride? Yes, absolutely. But that, of course, left the show at the mercy of circumstance. It was not something that was going to last forever. So, what do you do when fate refuses to send a cartoonist to do a book event in the Upper Midwest? Well, you have a Skype call with one of the reigning talents in action cartooning, Ben Sears. Ben is the cartoonist behind 2016's Night Air, the first of the Double Plus books from Koyama Press. The second Double Plus book, Volcano Trash, arrives from the same publisher this May. Ben has a gift for fluid, funny, clear-line action sequences that are among my favorites out of anybody doing sci-fi or superheroics right now. His comics are clever and accessible and good-natured, but never bland. He has a couple shorter comics available online, too. Young Shadow and The Sweeper. You can check those out at his big cartel page. It's actually an intriguingly small body of work, and this interview gets into that. If you're playing this on your browser via tcj.com and you want to subscribe in iTunes, well, you can. Just go to the iTunes feed of TCJ Talkies, which includes all episodes of Decalogue 2. Lastly, before the interview with Ben, I need to get out in front of something that takes place during the recording, because otherwise the enemies of this podcast are going to have a field day with it. At one point, Ben mentions Nancy, the beloved and critically acclaimed mid-century comic strip. As he did this, there were, about six feet away from me, on a bookshelf facing my back, three volumes of Ernie Bushmiller's collected Nancy work. One thousand pages of Nancy in the same room with me. These are some of my favorite comics on the planet, and yet... For some reason, I envisioned the Kathy comic strip by Kathy Gweeswhite, which I have not read, uh, and no mainly from cards and t-shirts. Uh, I know Kathy's catchphrase was act, and try and guess whether or not I say that catchphrase on mic while trying to contribute something to what I, for some reason, believed was an exchange about Kathy comics. But let me say something else, too. I was intrigued, and if you found this podcast, you probably know that the Comics Journal has been charged at times throughout its history, with elitism, with snobbery or intellectual pugilism for its own sake. But although you can play this interview and probably hear how surprised I am when I think Ben Sears is citing Kathy as a major influence, listen not for my confusion, but for how eager I am to experience a reassessment of Kathy that blows away all my preconceptions about that strip. I wanted that. And you know what? Maybe I'll still get it. And I'll pick up one of those Kathy collections with my eyes wide open. Thank you, and don't tweet me about this. Here's 10 Questions with Ben Sears. Question number one is, what's the last comic you finished reading? Uh, It was a old Beetle Bailey comic. Like, uh, I think Charlton published it from like the 70s. So that was, I think that's the last one I finished. And how, I should ask, did Beetle Bailey Floppy wind up in your hands? Um, there's a, a local shop I go to, and they just have, like, huge bins of old kids' comics that are, like, 75 cents. So every time I go in there, I just grab a couple, and that was one that caught my eye this time. I mean, I guess that's technically a clear line sort of comic. What was it that drew you to that uh, issue in particular? I don't know. It's just really efficient storytelling and just kind of dumb jokes and easy to read in a short amount of time. I don't, I don't know. The line work and the colors are all really nice. It's on that nice aged 
newsprint now. Mm-hmm. In terms of your your general back issue uh, been rummaging, what has been the most pleasant surprise in recent months? That's a good question. I really was surprised to find out how funny the uh, Inspector comics are. It's like a spinoff of the Pink Panther comics. He's just like kind of an inept detective who takes himself really seriously. Sure. Would Um, those have been published around the time of the Peter Sellers movies? I think so. I I would say yes. It's like probably a little later. It's like early to mid 70s. Uh Uh-huh. So yeah, he's, he's a little like Peter Sellers, but more, I don't know. He just takes his job so seriously, and he's so bad at it. <laughs> I, I had a hard time getting into the movie, but the comics are very funny. Was it from a publisher you'd heard of, or, or one that's gone by the wayside? I want to say they were published by, like, Gold Key or something. Mm-hmm. I usually pick up the old Gold Key license stuff like that, just because it always has nice cartooning in it, and... It's divided up into, like, three little short stories that you can read in, like, a couple minutes. On a book like that, is it ever a, a creator whose name you'd recognize, or are the cartoonists who have sort of been lost to history? Um, I think it's all cartoonists who have been lost to history. There's, like, no... I, I can usually track down names just by, like, Googling the issue number, but for the most part, it's, like, no credit mm-hmm. at all. Hmm. Which is kind of a bummer because whoever was making these is like a really great draftsman. And I don't know, just good stuff. And this is a, a clean segue into our second question. Question number two: What cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? I never hear a lot of people talking about like John Romita Jr. Uh-huh. Um, I know he gets a ton of praise, but like I don't know. It's just he's kind of like a living legend. I don't know, because he's, he's been working for so long, and his style is, like, so 100% his. Mm-hmm. And whenever he does work on, like, a current comic, it's, like, not really a big deal. But I'll go and buy it, because it's, like, oh, I get to see how this guy's, like, drawing, like, current comics, and then I'll go back and look at, like, old Daredevil or Iron Man. And it's, Those are lovely it's books. Cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's, if nothing else, it's compartmentalized the sort of of praise he gets. Like, I know in, in the outlets I read most often, I can recall maybe, uh, you know, a Douglas Woke praising his work in an interview with the comics uh, reporter some years back. But, yeah. yeah, I feel like, and, you know, of course, whenever he's, you know, doing a superhero comic, it, it gets some attention. But, but in terms of, I don't know, has there ever been a, a career-spanning appraisal of his work that you know of um i don't think there has been i mean he's still working so it would be kind of tricky to like i don't know i feel like there should be for his 80s stuff at least yeah i i want to say there's one of those idw artist editions devoted to his work but i couldn't say which book so maybe there's not now how much uh week to week month to month reading of um you know serialized genre stuff do you do when i'm working on a book for myself i don't really have much time to read so i'll go through dry spells but then like during the summer and winter i'll just i'll go find those like all ages gold key comics for like 75 cents and buy up a stack and read those and been reading on the exercise bike at the gym a lot which Uh is nice like especially those really dense like european comics 
because I can just sit down an hour and I don't have anywhere to be, so I can just read and not have any distractions. Now, let me let me loop back to Romita Jr. specifically for a second. Uh, how much sure. do you identify with a cartoonist like that who, you know, on on one hand, uh, you, you two have some uh, clear similarities. You know, you're both you know, very gifted stagers of action, but you, of course, are known for, you know, writing and drawing stories of your own invention with characters you created yourselves, whereas Romita has been um, largely a Marvel Comics workhorse for going on decades, you know, with those recent entries into DC, too. But with the yeah. exception of, I think, maybe Kick-Ass, uh, there's not a whole lot he's done in terms of characters or designs of his own. Yeah, I, that's something I would really like to see, because I, I feel like we come from two very different backgrounds. Like, I'm more on the independent, self-published kind of thing, and he's, like, very much in the industry. So I don't know. It would be really neat to see something that's just by him. Have you had uh, much outreach from industry publishers in terms of the notion of working on those licensed books? A little bit. Not anything that, like... Like, I've talked to, like, a couple different editors and stuff, but I don't know. I found that I really kind of prefer working from my own writing. Mm-hmm. Like, working from other writers can be fun, but it's definitely challenging, and I just, I just have a lot that I want to do for myself, so... I figure I'm pretty young now, so I can just kind of grind and do it. And then maybe later on, after that stuff is established, I'll do like a... I mean, everybody wants to do a Batman story. Right. Point, so I wouldn't say no to that. Well, let me let me ask you about the Ben Sears game plan. Um, you know, I, I just recently read Young Shadow and the Sweeper, which along with your books Night Air and the upcoming Volcano Trash are are part of, you know, would you call it the Bolt City-verse? These books all the inhabitants of the same shared world. Yeah, I, I haven't come up with a name for it yet, but it's all. I like the idea of all this stuff just kind of happening simultaneously, but not really narratively connected. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I just released that Young Shadow comic, and I really like working on that character. So my ideal plan would just be like to do like the main double plus stories with like plus man and then do like a little side story with young shadow that mm-hmm. kind of complements it but doesn't you don't have to read both of them to get what's going on now did that shared world first come out of say your aesthetic you know liking yeah. to draw certain things with the world building following that and feeling natural how how intentional was that sort of shared universe at first uh, it was pretty intentional because I don't know if I just if I can make everything up then I don't have to do like a lot of photo reference or anything so I can right. work a lot faster <laughs> so it's partially out of convenience and then partially just cause like I feel like there's so much I can do with it mm-hmm. cause like Young Shadow is like a superhero thing and Double Plus is like or adventure kind of stuff. Yeah, so there's know, there's just a lot of different kinds of things that I can do with that. And, yeah, it, it was definitely intentional, like, for everything to have the same look. Now, let me ask you our third question now, question number three. What's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? I guess Watchmen. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know, just, I really like, the art but the writing is just like so 
kind of exhausting to read for me. Now, is, is that in terms of, say, the volume of verbiage, or is it the remoteness of the work? Um, you know, there's not a lot of humor in that book, say, which, you know, naturally is a, oh, a huge yeah. part of your work. Yeah, I mean, the humor thing, it's like, it's possible to do something serious, but still have it be funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just how life is. But, like, yeah, I don't know, it's just overly serious and dramatic, and I don't know, nothing really, I wasn't invested in the story at all. It was just kind of a bunch of stuff happening, and then, yeah, the art was nice to look at. Now, at what point in your comics reading life did you encounter that book? Uh, had you, you know, I, I imagine, um, you know, you're a younger cartoonist uh, that you weren't collecting it when it came out, presumably, but were you aware of, you know, the book's stature before reading it? Yeah, I think so, because the first, like, comics that I bought when I got into comics, like, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, were all the ones that they had at, like, Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. So it's like Batman Year One, Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, and something else. So I just assumed it was important because it was at Barnes & Noble, and they didn't really carry that much back then. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. It was... It was one of those things that people were like, oh, you got to read Watchmen if you love comics. It's like, oh, I really like The Far Side and Hobbs, <laughs> so I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the nice things, I think, about comics uh, in the last decade or so, that even with the decline of the brick-and-mortar bookstore, I think we do see comics taking up more shelf space than they used to, which is you know, good just in terms of the industry, I think, but also... You, you come to realize with that that you really can build your own canon, I think, and that if uh, something like a Watchman doesn't appeal to you, then you don't lose your, your badge as a comics reader or, or what have you. Yeah, totally. Let's, let's talk again about that formative age with our fourth question. That one is, you can send one comic back in time to yourself at age 14. What is that comic and why? That's a good question. I might send myself, like, an old, like, late 50s, early 60s Peanuts collection, if that counts. Sure. Or, like, a Nancy collection or something. Because when I first started getting into comics, like, comic shop comics, um, Mm -hmm. like, I had grown up on Calvin and Hobbes and that kind of stuff. And then when I got to superhero comics, I was like, I mean, I like the Batman stuff and Spider-Man, but, like, I don't know, nothing really ever clicked with me. And I never, for some reason, never thought of, like, the Calvin and Hobbes stuff as, like, comics that you could make. It's like, oh, the only kind of comics you could ever make are, like, superhero kinds. And I can't really draw like that. So I think if I saw, if I I really sat down and read, like, those old Peanuts and Nancy stuff, I feel like it may have started my comic drawing a little earlier. Hmm. You know, let's, well, let's talk about Nancy then for a second. I, 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 you know, naturally I think... The greatness of Schultz and Peanuts is a given in the minds of most people, and rightfully so, I think. Um, uh, but where would you where would you rate the Nancy comic strip uh, in your mind? And and um, I mean, like, how does that rank in your your own personal canon? Pretty high. They're like just I don't want to say they're dumb, but they're not like it's not super sophisticated humor. It's a lot of like visual gags and, and reactions and things like, like that. There's not a whole lot of other comics that can do that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a pretty hard thing to pull off is is humor. It's definitely like pretty high on my list of influences. 
That's super interesting to me because that is, um, in terms of, uh, I think, the awareness of the general public or at, or at least how iconic something like like the act of Nancy is, I suppose, you know, it probably dwarfs a lot of other things produced around that time. But, yeah, I not, not a strip I hear talked about that often. This makes me want to revisit those cartoons. And it might be because they're so easy to consume because it's like you can read a couple days at a time i don't know they're just so efficient in the storytelling and the jokes are for the most part pretty good i mean there's like some dated humor in there that doesn't age very well but Mm -hmm. yeah it's just good stuff and our fifth question question number five is what's a change you'd like to see across the comics industry that's a good question it's hard to see the difference between like stuff that I would like to see and like actual structural problems in the industry. I wish there was more room at like small press shows and stuff to like include new artists because it is really hard to get into those things, mm-hmm. especially if you like are just starting out and don't really know anybody. Yeah, I mean, I, you can I... always go and like hand out your mini comics, but like I live in Kentucky and it's. It's nothing really around here, so I would have to go to like small press expo or cake or something, which not everybody can make that kind of trip. Yeah, yeah, I feel like particularly in an area like yours, which which I have great fondness for Kentucky. My my parents live there, but yeah, there are you know probably only so many shows you can do- go to without creating you know finding your own kind of travel budget for that promotion. Yeah. Well, let I mean, me... the internet helps people get their work out, but, like, it really does help to, like, meet publishers and stuff mm-hmm. face-to-face. Well, let me ask you, I'm curious about this. How did you first come to be published by Koyama Press, uh, the publishers of Night Air and now Volcano Trash? Well, I did the first issue of that Double Plus comic in 2014 just to see if I could do it because, like, uh-huh. I never really drawn... I'd done, like, a couple panels, but I'd never drawn a full comic before. So I went to SPX that year with, like, a couple dozen copies of it and just handed it out to people. And Zach Soto and Study Group Comics really helped because Mm -hmm. they kind of co-published it and ran it on their website. But Annie Koyama was there, and I was like, hey, you know, just take one of these and let me know what you think of it. And a couple months went by, and I emailed her asking if she'd be interested in, like, putting out a comic of mine, which was kind of awkward, because right uh-huh. after I sent the email, I saw on her website that she doesn't take submissions. Uh-huh. But, so she responded, and actually didn't go for the first thing that I pitched to her, but she was like, I really like those other characters, so try something with that. And I think someone had dropped out of her publishing schedule at the last minute, so there was an open spot. And that is where Night Air came in. I just kind of cranked that up a couple months. And... Okay, well, I have to ask you now, Ben. I, I'm not just buttering you up because uh, I've already snagged this interview and it's happening. Um, so I've got I got nothing to gain or lose. But where the hell did you come from then? Because the cartooning and the staging of action in that first Double Plus comic looks so practiced to me. You know, so skilled and intuitive. What was your artistic background in advance of? actually drawing those comics so I'd always like my mom 
was an, as an art teacher, my dad was a science teacher. So, like, I had always been around creative stuff, and I really encouraged that. So, I've always been drawing. And I went to college for graphic design. Mm-hmm. So, that kind of helps with, like, designing the look of the books and, like, laying out a page. Sure. But I had been doing artwork for bands for a while before that. Uh-huh. I mean, it was just, like, t-shirt designs and record art, which is completely different than sequential stuff but like i knew how to draw i just didn't i I, like i feel i still feel like i'm learning how to draw comics every time i draw one Mm because it's like there's so much so many problems that jump up what has surprised you most about drawing sequential work now that you've done it you know the the surprises in the actual act of creating those pages it just takes so long to draw (laughs) it's like and, and the amount of work is the way I work. It's like starts out with kind of a loose script, and then a thumbnail from the script, and then pencil it, and then ink it, and then color it. So like the amount of time I spend on one page is like so much longer than any band art that I'd ever done. Mm-hmm. Cause like band art, it's one image. You don't have to do any sort of problem solving really. But you get to comics, and it's like okay, how am I going to make this read Right. Like, from panel to panel and then as pages together and then a whole story? So I feel like I'm, I'm still figuring that out, but the first couple double plus books were definitely like, you, you can see me like stumble and try to figure things out hmm. as they go along. You know, our sixth question is typically, what's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning? But you haven't been at it for all that long, so I'm, I'm going to... Assume there haven't been any serious dark nights of the soul. So I want to ask you instead, how do you measure success? Because your work, it it might be fair to say, is the most mainstream or accessible work in the Koyama line. You know, in as much as it's something you can imagine on Nickelodeon or you can imagine a version of the work coming uh, in, you know, in the form of a serialized floppy if, if you were, you know, to be able to magically up your your rate of productivity or something like that yeah so what what is success to you in the creating of these books actually finishing them like uh-huh. the last stage of each book is like laying it all out in InDesign and then exporting the PDF so like as soon as that last PDF is sent off I feel like a pretty good sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. and then like holding the final like printed book in my hand it's like oh man this is cool it's like an actual physical object now i mean obviously the money stuff comes into play but like luckily kentucky's super cheap to live in mm-hmm. so i'm not not really sacrificing a whole lot so yeah success is just like getting the work done and having it come out now the endorsement of someone like annie koyama is a rarefied one she's you know one of the the top publishers in North America right now, uh, and an incredible judge of talent. Uh, you also have in your most recent book, I think, a blurb from Brandon Graham, who's a very gifted cartoonist as well. Have there been any any surprising notices you've gotten from your work from places you might not have expected? Yeah, I mean, it's always nice when like other artists compliment the stuff that I do. Yeah, I don't know. Like having Annie's approval is definitely like great. And it helps that she's also the publisher. I don't know. There's like some 
superhero comics people that like I like their work and they will follow me on Twitter or something. Whenever that happens, it's like, oh man, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, the guy who created that Teen Titans cartoon and worked on like Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. Um, not Bruce Tim, but Glenn something. Can't remember his last name. But he bought a couple copies of that Young Shadow comic. And it's like, that comic probably wouldn't exist in that form if it hadn't been for the work that he did. Sure. So that was pretty cool to see that. Cause it's like, oh man, this is like, people are actually noticing this. And our, our seventh question, let me ask you next. What's the best advice you've heard about making comics? Take breaks pretty often. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, when your physical health starts declining because of drawing comics, it's, like, time to start reevaluating your approach. Have you been at risk of that at any point in the drawing of the Double Plus books? Well, when I was working on Volcano Trash, it was, like, I'd pretty much wake up, get to work, and then it'd be nighttime, and then I'd go to bed. And I would try to go for, like, a run every other day. Uh Uh-huh. And I quickly found that, like, sitting all day and then trying to run like will mess up your legs pretty bad if you're not careful hmm. so like i pulled my hamstring oh geez or, like strained it or something yeah and had to take a couple weeks off so like now it's like i get up every half hour and kind of walk around the apartment or walk around the block yeah stretch my hands pretty often drink a lot of water and that dovetails with our eighth question which is what's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist I don't know. So when Annie offered me that spot, this isn't the worst decision, but it was a decision that was hard to make because she was like, can you draw like a 50-something page comic and have it done by June? And this was like late February. Uh I was like, well, I've never not done that. Right. (laughs) So I'll give it a shot. And I feel like, like it ended up turning out okay. But when I was making the decision, I was like, oh, man, this could be... I could just be burning this bridge right now, mm-hmm. and I don't even know it. So I don't know. There hasn't really been anything that I regret doing. Yeah, luckily I'm able to like mainly work on my own stuff. So like I, I can weed out any potential bad decisions just through editing my own stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I haven't made that bad decision yet. Cool. But it well, might come. <laughs> You've got nothing but time. <laughs> yeah. All right, and uh, question number nine. What work from another medium has influenced you the most? There's a movie called Playtime. Sure, is that the Hadi movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I saw that, like, I guess three years ago now. Because it's mostly silent. Yeah. Like, well-choreographed comedy. And I was just kind of glued to the screen. It's a pretty long movie. I don't know how long exactly, but, like, the entire time it just had my 100% attention. And after I saw that, I was like, man, I need to figure out how to, like, get this feeling into comics. I don't know if it's possible or if I've accomplished it, but, like, just that kind of humor is so universal and timeless. It's like, if I could make someone reading my comics feel the same way that I felt when I was watching Playtime, then I think that would make me feel pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. You could have not uh, mentioned a more humbling example i think for me personally because those movies in particular are my huge film appreciation blind spot 
I I've seen Playtime. I've seen uh, Mon Uncle, and my gosh, those are things that intellectually I know. I feel like I can appreciate what's going on, but I have not managed to actively enjoy. And as as a, a film nerd as well as a comics nerd, is a, a, a source of real shame, or at least you know a kind of credential that is yeah. I know <laughs> no is out of reach for me so far. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of like. Uh, the TV show Police Squad, too. Oh, sure. I don't know if you saw that. Like, yeah. the airplane guys. But just, like, the density of visual and verbal jokes in that. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I feel like every five uh, seconds there's a gag there. Yeah, and they don't, like, give you any time to catch up. So it's like, you miss it, you miss it. So, uh, that's so, so inspiring. That's yeah, that's what I need, evidently. You know, the uh, something where the gags come so frequently that the odds are are almost 100% that something will be making me laugh within a, yeah. a short stretch. Okay, our last question, question number 10 is, aliens have made contact with Earth, and they seem benevolent, but we still want to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics, so what do you show them first? I guess I would have to say that same Peanuts collection that I sent myself in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that would be it. Maybe like Batman Year One or something. You know, I feel like those Peanuts books, you know, the strip itself, does give about as broad a range of human emotions as you would want to introduce an alien species to at any one time. You know, I think going back and reading those, there really is a kind of audacity there in terms of how how dark they can get, at least in moments, you know, and how willing Schultz was to look at things like depression and failure in those trips so early on. Yeah, it's, it will make you feel all kinds of feelings. And that that's kind of why I like it. I mean, the drawings are amazing, mm-hmm. but it's just like, can be really funny or just like crushingly depressing while still being kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, that is uh, the end of our list. Uh, after Volcano Trash, what's, what's next for Ben Sears? Um, I'm working on another double plus book that is a standalone story with the same characters from Volcano Trash. So mm-hmm. That should be out in May of 2018, I think. Cool. Is uh, there any chance we'll see the triplets return somewhere in there? I don't know. Maybe. In this one, I don't think so. But after this one, I really want to do like a spaghetti western kind of thing. Uh-huh. With those characters. So they might show up in that, but the next one is definitely completely different from Volcano Trash. So, like, all new characters and, like, kind of takes place in one building, which is challenging. Uh-huh. But, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it works out. Uh, but then I hope to have the second issue of Young Shadow out by, like, November or December. And where can fans find that one? On my web store, which is... BenSears.BigCartel.com And then there's also a link to buy a digital download if you don't like physical stuff. That sounds pretty great. Uh, Thank you again for talking to me. Yeah, thanks for having me. 